Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Even though today's episode is not even close to the end of this season on government, it's actually one of the last episodes that I'm recording. In fact, this episode is replacing another episode that I had previously recorded to be in this slot, but I was just unsatisfied with, with how that turned out. So when you get to uh, to another episode later in the season that discusses policing, that was actually the original episode that I was going to plug in for today. But ultimately, that episode I didn't feel like answered a lot of questions. It was more of kind of a, a wrestling through the concept and how we kind of mitigate that as as um, nonviolent persons, like how we kind of struggle through that that discussion of creative nonviolence and and policing, but it didn't really answer anything. And I think that was okay because that reflected a genuine position that I was in because this this issue that we're talking about today, this uh, the idea of how do you deal with the idea of police is something that I think is is probably the hardest thing to answer as somebody who's nonviolent. Um, because you can kind of figure that armies are are often, something that you use to exert force outside of your borders. But police, at least in, in their ideal state, are civil servants, right? They're, they're public servants. They're, they're people who are supposed to um, really protect your community. You know, whereas an army a lot of times goes in and there are all these other economic interests and things that you can question. Uh, when the police deal with murderers or thieves or something that um, they usually kind of come after a crime is committed, then that's something that is for your public safety and public good. And to make something extremely applicable, I mean, you just look at today with all of that that's come to light in regard to all of the sexual abuse that's out there, even in churches. And you think, don't we need a police force to handle people who are sexual abusers? Like, we need to protect other people from predators, do we not? And so this idea of, well, if you're nonviolent, then you don't like armies, but then that also means you shouldn't like police. Um, but at the same time, we recognize intuitively that that the police are good because they they deal with egregious evil. How do we do that um, responsibly from a nonviolent perspective? And from an anarchist perspective, how do we do that? So I'm not going to say that I have this nailed down, that I think I, I have this figured out so that everything is just easy and hunky-dory and there are no issues. But I do think I'm, I'm at a place where I can answer with some confidence how I can consistently hold to nonviolence and be a responsible citizen um, and have the view that I do on the police force. And that's what I, I want to get into today. So the main issue at hand is that I have been advocating nonviolence. And I've also been advocating that as a Christian, I cannot be a consequentialist. I cannot say that the ends justify the means. So if, if I think that vengeance should be left to God and that violence is something that he calls us not to do because we're to turn the other cheek and we're to love enemies, then I can't compromise that moral directive. Um, I can't make excuses for that. Like, oh, well, you know, to protect myself, I need to kill somebody. And that's not how it works. 
That's that's not how moral objectives work there. Um, if God has told me to leave vengeance to him, then I leave vengeance to him. And it doesn't matter what the the um, the outcome is. I need to stick to the means that he has given me. And so consequentialism is off the table. Ends justifying the means is off the table. The problem with, uh, with the police force then comes in is, uh, well, how do the police, um, how do they police the laws? And ultimately, they have the threat of force behind them. And so as a nonviolent individual, I can't morally participate as a police officer. But then, can I call a police officer to come and, um, and use his force to, to uphold the law? If somebody attacks me and my family, if there is a sexual predator in the church, how can I call the police? How can I, I say, well, I'm not going to commit violence, but I'm going to call somebody else to do the dirty work for me? How is that even fair? How is that right? How is that not me tapping into immorality and essentially wielding immorality myself? I'm going to have three responses to this. The first response I'm going to have, I'm not going to parse out very deeply. This is something that um, you can kind of go to another episode that I've done earlier as well as an article that I wrote that that just touches on this. And the reason I'm not going to parse it out is not only for the sake of time but also because it's kind of a a, a new way that I have kind of created to think of things. And so I haven't really parsed this aspect out myself. So this is more of like um, a starter and, and some homework for you. But in one of our previous episodes, or maybe one of our future ones, I don't remember at the moment, but I talked about moral chemistry, this idea of moral chemistry. And one of the examples that I give is um, like take, take any store, like take a hardware store. And I go into a hardware store, and I'm going to buy a hammer. But I know that that hardware store is going to take some of my money, and you know, let's say they give one percent of their their um, profits, they give to uh, Planned Parenthood, let's say for for abortion services. Just make it really, really morally clear. You know, is it moral for me to purchase that hammer? And I said. Yes, it is perfectly fine for me to purchase that hammer. I am not complicit with that immorality. And and the way that I, I explained that was because uh, we can kind of reverse that scenario, right? So instead of me paying in an employer or something, think of an employer paying an employee. An employee does some work for an employer, let's say for the same hardware store employer, and that employer overhears his employee saying, yeah, I can't wait till I get my paycheck. I'm going to go out and gamble half of it, and I'm going to uh, binge drink, and I'm going to use it on, uh, the rest on prostitutes. And the employer goes up to the employee and says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you your paycheck because I know that you're going to use it inappropriately. And the employee says, well, it doesn't matter how I use it. I can use it how I want to because you're paying me for the work that I did. How I use the money you give me for the work that I did is irrelevant. Like, you're not morally responsible for that. Um, and so, flip it back around. When I go to buy that hammer, I am paying the hardware store for the hammer that they give me. And it's irrelevant what they will do with my money. 
Now, I might choose to say, hey, look, I, I don't want any more money going to Planned Parenthood, or I don't want any more money going uh, for abortion services. I'm going to choose to spend my money elsewhere, and that might be a wise decision. But it is not immoral for me to purchase a hammer from this hardware store um, because how they use the money I give them is on them um, because I am not paying them for that. And that's completely different than me, let's say, donating for abortion services to Planned Parenthood, right? Because now I am directly paying a company for something that, that is immoral. And that's completely different than me saying, oh, this uh, brand of hammer that I'm going to buy from this hardware store, I know that that's made with slave labor. Now that slave labor is infused into the hammer, into that product that I'm purchasing. And now that product itself is made immoral. It's tainted by immorality because of the conditions under which it was made. So those are, that's kind of the way that I think through things morally. And um, I call that moral chemistry because I, I talk about the, the different um, types of bonds you can have and, and um, kind of different moral situations. Now, my guess is here, I, again, I haven't parsed this out completely, but my guess is that here when it, with talking about the police force, um, I think that there, there is going to be some of this moral chemistry going on where intuitively you might say, well, it's, it's, if it's wrong for you to harm, then it's wrong for you to call the police who are going to harm. And I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you to wait until I get to my, my third point here. Because in that point, I'm going to give you an example from the Bible that I think helps you to see that there is some distinction here. And I think you can use moral chemistry, this idea of moral chemistry, to um, kind of start to get at where some of the distinctions might lie. So my second point that I would make is actually kind of a short one, but um, I would argue that um, we have to be careful of saying that it would be wrong for me to um, call the police to wield this thing that I, I think is evil um, because I think God does the same thing. And a passage that we come back to quite a lot in, in this podcast is Isaiah 10. In Isaiah 10, God says, Hey, look, Assyria, they're going to do my will. They're going to come against Israel, and they're going to punish Israel. Because Israel deserves to be punished. They deserve to be judged for the wicked that they've done. Nevertheless, Assyria, in doing this, is wicked and will bring judgment upon itself because this thing that they do is wicked in their heart and they're going to do it wickedly, like they're evil in this action. Yet God wields them. Or we've referenced Psalm 34, where God says that evil will slay the wicked. Right? God uses... Um, through his, his divine sovereignty all the time, he uses the wicked to destroy the wicked, to judge and punish the wicked. And so even if I think that the police force, um, that it would be immoral for me to be in the police force, does not necessarily mean that me activating the police force uh, would necessarily be immoral. Now it might be, but it might not be. So those two things in mind, first of all, this, this idea of moral chemistry and, and trying to understand some of the, the nuances in some of these moral decisions that seem the same on the surface, but are different when you actually look at how they're infused with moral decisions. And when we recognize that God uses evil, he, he doesn't directly do it, 
um, but he uses evil for good. Um, I want to want to talk about a passage that I think will will illuminate this topic of why I think it would be legitimate for me as a nonviolent individual to activate the police force. And I'm going to use 1 Corinthians 5. Now in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth and they have this, this crazy situation going on. See, there's this guy in the church who is having sex with like his mom. I guess it's his, his stepmom, I think. Um, so that's weird, right? And it's so weird. Paul's like, look, this, this thing that he's doing, it's not even done among the Gentiles. Like not even the secular non-church people do this. Like this is sick and it's got to stop. And this guy just won't, won't stop doing this. And so Paul says, look, it's come to a point where we need to pray that this guy's flesh is delivered to Satan so that his soul can be saved. Now, I don't think you can really get any better of an example um, for, for this topic that we're talking about because I want you to think about what Paul is, is doing here. Paul is saying this guy, who is a part of, of the kingdom, right? Our kingdom, Christ's kingdom, the church, um, his actions, by his actions and, and his re, uh, refusal to repent, he is telling us that he is actually placing himself, he is choosing to place himself outside of our kingdom and under the domain of Satan, who's the prince of the power of the air, right? He's, he's given, uh, or he has the kingdoms, right? The power of the kingdoms. We see that when he offers those kingdoms to Jesus in the wilderness. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And he has authority on earth um, that, that God either has given to him or allows him to have for a time. And so Paul says, look, the most wicked, evil being that you can think of, this, this man in his sin has placed himself under the authority of Satan as opposed to God. And so we're going to pray that the authority of Satan, under the authority of Satan, this man is destroyed in his flesh. And we'll pray that God saves his soul. So just let that sink in. Paul essentially, like, we're, we're talking about calling the police. Call, Paul essentially calls Satan. He's like, all right, yep, uh, we got this guy here who's uh, having sex with his stepmom, and uh, he won't repent. So, yeah, Satan, come get him. Now, he's not praying to Satan, but he's essentially invoking Satan to come and, and punish this guy. And Paul doesn't advocate that he punishes the guy. Paul doesn't advocate that the church punishes the guy. And Paul doesn't even uh, call down fire from heaven and tell God to punish the guy. He says, look, this guy is placing himself under the authority of Satan. God, remove your protection. Let Satan have Adam. Now, I want, I want you to think now and, and relate this to the idea of the police. Um, as a nonviolent individual, if there is a member in, in our church who is, um, we find out, has been sexually abusing an individual, whether that's an adult or a child or whatever, our state, our country, um, has laws against such things. And God has deemed that governmental authorities, he, he works through them 
to bring about justice and to mete out punishment, just like he did with Assyria and Isaiah 10. God uses nations. He allows them to exact punishment on things. They don't bear the sword in vain. They punish things that, um, that ought to be punished. And so when somebody in my congregation decides to um, engage in pedophilia or rape or whatever it is, they have chosen to place themselves outside of the community of the kingdom of God and, um, and under the authority of the state. And so for me to go to the state and say, hey, look, dude, this breaks God's law and it breaks legitimate authority's law. And so um, we're going to tell the authorities about what you've done. We're going to give them information um, about you and, and we're going to comply with what, whatever recourse they seek. And if the state decides that they're not going to pursue this guy, that they're going to let it go, we can deal with them, you know, through excommunication or whatever else we can do in our church. But, you know, if the state decides to let them go, they let them go. Um, but if the state decides to pursue vengeance and they pursue vengeance with violence, that's on the state, right? That's me buying a hammer from the hardware store and uh, giving them the money and then them choosing how they're going to spend that money. When I tell the police, hey, look, we've got this guy who's, who's been abusing who's been raping, who's been engaging in pedophilia, and I, I give the state that, and then the state decides to pursue that with violence, their decision to pursue that with violence is on them. And it's on the, the head of the guy who decided to rape or commit pedophilia, right? Because he chose to place himself under that authority. I think this is significantly different than, let's say, my my house is robbed and um, I, I don't really know all the state laws and things, but if, if somebody breaks into my house, I might decide to tell the police about that. Um, and because somebody might break into another person's house, I don't know if he's seeking to do any harm, to kidnap, whatever. And so I can tell the police and give them whatever information they might ask for. And that might help them to solve um, to solve crimes and to make the community safe. But if I have a choice of pressing charges against somebody who's harmed me personally, I may choose not to do that because that would be me invoking vengeance. If I have the choice to say, um, yes, I will press charges or no, I won't, then that's going to be a, a time where me as somebody who's nonviolent and who thinks that forgiveness um, ought to occur, that might be something where I choose not to press charges. Um, so I, I think there can still be some distinctions here, but there are definitely crimes where I don't have to choose to press charges. The state will press charges, like something like murder. Even if I would not choose to press charges if somebody murdered my wife, um, the state will pursue that on their own. So I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. I don't know if that's emotionally appealing, if that's logically appealing to um, to anybody. I think the First Corinthians five example is is very good, and I I think it's clear that God um, does uh, sovereignly work through those who commit evil, even though God doesn't do evil Himself. 
And I think it's also clear that some things that are intuitively um, one way morally can actually be nuanced and parsed out. And I think this is one of those cases because I think nonviolence is clearly, clearly the right way to go. And um, I don't think we can um, p- participate in, in violence in that evil. At the same time, it, it seems so intuitive to me that we do protect our community. And if there is somebody in our church who is, um, who is abusing other people, we can't let that go. But we also, we can't exact vengeance. And how does that work? So I think initiating... Um, the the state activating it, giving it the information that it does, because it it doesn't bear the sword in vain, and it does um, it does punish evil, and there's a lot of evil that it punishes that does overlap with with God's definition of evil, whether that's murder or um, or theft or assault or um, rape or whatever else. There's a lot that the state does punish that legitimately is evil. Now, from the Christian anarchist perspective, that might um, throw a wrench into things for some people because they would say, okay, I, I get from the nonviolence perspective how you could call the police, but you know, from an anarchist perspective, don't you think that there should just be no police? And we'll kind of get to this. I've already uh, pre-recorded the uh, the conclusion, the second conclusion, the the final episode of the season, uh, which is going to air, I think, in like November. But in that conclusion, one of the things that I I draw out is, um, I think there's there's one aspect, there's one type of Christian anarchist which is so anti-government and trying to tear down government. It's this this negative anarchism. And I get that because government does terrible things and, and they're extremely wicked in a lot of ways. But I would identify more as what I would classify as a positive anarchist. I think that governments are usurpers of God. I think that governments implement violence and do things illegitimately in ways that God doesn't want things to be done. But I am not all about tearing down the government I'm about creating an alternative government, the no king but Christ. So governments are going to do what governments are going to do, and my job isn't to tear them down, but it's to um, provide something so appealing that people would rather come to my government, the church, Christ's government, as opposed to um, their secular government that is that is wicked. Um and so as long as there are people who are not following Christ, as long as Christ's kingdom isn't the, uh, the, the primary kingdom in the minds of most people, there are going to be wicked people. There are going to be people who also want to restrain this wickedness through violence. And so there will always be non-Christians and... Um, and Christians who haven't yet come around to the ways of Christ in terms of nonviolence, who are going to provide a police force. And so as long as the world provides a police force because it needs one or has a felt need for one, then we have a legitimate authority to tap into when it comes to things that overlap with the uh, the kingdom of God. 
So if the state um, addresses murder through the police force and rape through the police force, then we can justly um, inform them about when, when those things happen. So if I ran the government, I wouldn't want a police force, and I, I couldn't morally do that, but I wouldn't be running a government because I, I uh, don't think that's the way that the world should work. So it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but um, hopefully that makes some sort of sense and, and jives with, uh, with most people. I definitely recommend you, um, you come back when we get to one of the, uh, the other episode that I originally planned for here. It's not going to be um, quite as explicit, but it's going to kind of give you a little bit of a different perspective on the police force and um, maybe a more moderate position as opposed to an, an anarchist, nonviolent position, but one that, that's more open to there being some policing. So tune back in when, when that pops up. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it. This podcast is a part of the Kingdom Outpost Network. Please check out the links below to find other great podcasts and content related to nonviolence and kingdom living.